Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. You may be wondering to yourself, I thought we were going to study Revelation. Well, we are, but if you remember in the first week, I told you that in order to understand the last part of the book, you've got to have some understanding of the stuff that leads up to it. And so uh, that's kind of what we're doing today and next week as well. I want to thank you, um, Lynn and I want to thank you for our Christmas present that you gave us last Christmas, but was last night, which was the uh, uh, Eagles concert and Chris Stapleton concert. We had a great time at that, and um, however, if you hear me singing, you're as smooth as Tennessee whiskey, that is your fault, not mine. And I was actually thinking about that. Now, I think that you guys know that I, I'm not a drinker. That doesn't mean I haven't tasted alcohol, but I, it's not my thing. And uh, But I was actually thinking, is that really a compliment? You see, I, I was sick a few years back and uh, just like really bad, just throat and head and all that. And my father-in-law said, I can fix you something. And I said, well, will it, I'd already been to the doctor, and I said, will it help? He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, don't tell me what's in it, just bring it over. And again, I don't know my uh, alcohols very good, but I do think that there might have been a little bit of whiskey in that. I would not have said it was smooth. I might have done the, like in the Old West, smooth <laughs> thing. So I'm just thinking that if I was to tell my wife, you're as smooth as Tennessee whiskey, I I don't think I'm paying her a real compliment. But we had a great time, and uh, we stayed to the very end, So, which means we didn't get in bed till 1 o'clock this morning. But you know I'm a party animal anyway, so So we went to bed early for us, right? Um, One of the things that you have said that you have appreciated about me as your pastor is um, my willingness to be transparent with you, and I doubt very many pastors in America just admitted that they've probably tasted whiskey, but um, that's okay. I, I don't mind being transparent with you. You like that we share with, that I share with you my struggles or my family struggles, things that we go through. That you know we're just like you. And um, well, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna see how you like my transparency today, at least with this next statement, because this is just the honest truth. There have been times in my life, even uh, time as, as your pastor, that this thought has crossed my mind. What if the Bible really isn't the Word of God? And that it's all just some fairy tale made up by some, some man. Now, some of you are probably thinking right now, I hope he enjoyed that concert Christmas gift because that's the last gift he's getting from this church. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to respond, but I mean, really, am I the only one that that thought's ever crossed your mind? And if this thought has ever crossed your mind, you're going to love our study today. And here's why. 
we're going to study some things that God has placed in his word. Prophecies today and, and next week. Things that God said would happen in the future. And not only did those things come true in the future, they came true exactly when God said they were going to come true. And we need to understand uh, the difference between a lucky guess on a vague generality and real prophecy. I wouldn't be a prophet if I said the Cowboys will win the Super Bowl in the future. I mean, look, if the Eagles can win one, the Cowboys can stumble onto one somewhere in the future, right? But if I were to tell you this morning that a team from Oklahoma City is going to win the Super Bowl in the year 2035, and that comes true, then I'm a prophet, right? Because I'm calling for a team to win that doesn't even exist in the NFL right now, and I'm giving the exact date and all that. So I want want you to understand that that there's a difference in real prophecy and just lucky guesses based on vague generalities. And today we're going to study together a prophecy that isn't one of those lucky shot-in-the-dark guesses. Not only does this prophecy come true, it comes true exactly when God said it would. And when this type of thing happens, it, it strengthens our faith not only in God but in His Word. And quite honestly, the end-time prophecy that we're going to study today should nail down for you once and for all that God exists, that He is in control, and that He has a plan, a calendar of history for the redemption of man. And He's revealing part of it to us. I want you to see this chart uh, on the screen behind me. I gave you this a few weeks back. So here here is God's calendar for working with man. And it's a a seven-day calendar just as a seven-day creation calendar. And so God worked with Israel for 4,000 years or four prophetic days. He has worked uh, in and through the church for 2,000 years, the fifth and sixth prophetic days. And so there's one day left, and, and, and that last day is what is, is ushered in by the rapture and then immediately following, uh, followed by the seven-year tribulation period. The events of end times are not random. They are a part of God's plan. And when we study end time events, there are two amazing prophecies that begin to shed more light on what events in the book of Revelation happen to which groups of people. And that helps us find the answer to the big question that Christians have. The big question that Christians have is, do Christians go through the tribulation period? These two amazing prophecies are what we will study this week and next, and they are the cornerstones to understanding the answers to rapture and tribulation questions. And the first prophecy that we're going to look at today is the prophecy of Daniel's 77. So, And so before we read, let, let me set the historical stage for what we're about to read in Daniel chapter 9. The nation of people that God chose to honor His name and to protect and proclaim his word is Israel. God didn't just randomly choose the people and say, okay, let me think, um, you're it. That's not how God has a plan. And he chose a certain group of people, Israel, for the purpose of them protecting and preserving the word of God and honoring his name. But there came a point that they ultimately rejected him. They worshiped idols And so God took his protection away from Israel. And then they were conquered. And at the very back part of, back half of your Old Testament, they were conquered and they were taken captive into 
the Babylonian Empire. And again, here's a map that I'll let you see. Um, just so you kind of have everything that you see here is the Persian Empire. Persians took over, conquered the, the Babylonian Empire. So basically all that you see is what we're going to be talking about today. Jerusalem is way over here in the in the brown. And so Israel there on that corner of the Mediterranean Sea. And then they're taken into primarily Babylon start, and then they would begin to get dispersed out from there. And so the Babylonians who conquered Israel and took them into captivity were overtaken by the Persians. And here in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel, who was an Israelite, one who was taken captive, is serving as a high-ranking official under the Persian king Darius. Daniel chapter 9, let's look at verse 1. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So Daniel is reading what we know as the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And he saw as he was reading the book of Jeremiah that Israel was going to be held in captivity for 70 years. But when Daniel reads this, they've been captive for 68 years, and so they're getting down towards the very end. So Daniel's concerned. What's going to happen to, to my people, uh, the Israelites? What's going to happen to, to Israel? And so he's praying about it in verse 20. Let's look there. So Daniel goes on to say, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given and now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. So God sent the, as Daniel's praying for Israel and, and, and Jerusalem, God sends the archangel Gabriel to Daniel. And he sends him to give Daniel insight and understanding about what God's going to do with Israel through this prophecy. Now, the prophecy that we're going to study this morning, now this date really isn't important. I'm just giving it to you for, for a little bit of uh, uh, the, the ability to kind of put it all together in context, I guess you might say. This prophecy that, that we're going to study was given to Daniel in 538 B.C. And it is a timeline for the future of Daniel's people, Israel. The beauty of this prophecy is this. Much of it has already been fulfilled. And what that means is it is history to us. And because it's history to us, we can go back and we can learn from it. And, and actually what it does is history has interpreted this prophecy for us so that we can interpret what has not been fulfilled yet. So look at verse 24. He's... Uh, the angel Gabriel speaks to him to give him insight and understanding. Verse 24, a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. 
The very first thing I want you to see in verse 24 is the word, the two words, a period. A, a period is a measure of time. And, and so Gabriel is telling Daniel, there is a period of time that is going to happen in regards to your people and your holy city, Israel and Jerusalem. And so I'm going to just direct your attention to your notes. Now, I'm going to cover these four things very quickly before we get to that, that chart there in the bottom. Number one, the 77s that we just read about is a time period that God is going to work in and through Israel. It's a time period. And if you're, if you're marking notes, go ahead and circle the word Israel, draw arrows, exclamation points, stars, whatever it's going to take for you to remember who this is written for. So it was written to Daniel in regards to his people and their holy city, Jerusalem. Um, and this is so important because to understand end-time prophecy and understand end-time events, we have to know who things were written to. So this prophecy that we're going to talk about today, Daniel 77s, has nothing to do with us. But we use it to interpret when the second coming, the rapture, and the tribulation period is going to happen. So it's God doing work with his chosen people, Israel. Number two, history has shown us that the sevens refer to time periods made up of seven years. So when, when Gabriel reveals to Daniel there are 70 sets of sevens coming, what he's saying is that it's a prophecy about a time period of 70 sets of seven years. 70 times seven, 490 years is what we're talking about. There is something that's going to happen over a time period of 490 years. You know what? It's easy to make a prophecy that says something might happen in the future. It's pretty difficult to say it's going to happen 490 years from now when the truth is the world and people and events change so much in 50 years. Read on verse 25. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Jerusalem and the temple of God. The end will come with a flood and war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for, his, for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Now, what we just read is about seven sevens, 62 sevens, so that 69 is broken up and, and one left to go. But what I want you to see first is it talks about two rulers. Okay, so let's look at that. The first ruler, number three, the first ruler in Daniel's prophecy is the Christ, Jesus. That's what verse 25 said. It says, um, 
A command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Number four, the second ruler in Daniel's prophecy is the Antichrist. So the first ruler is the Christ, Jesus. The second ruler is the Antichrist. Verse 26 says, after that period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. And then it says, and a ruler, a new ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. After Jesus is crucified, the Bible is telling us that there's going to be another ruler come along who will destroy Jerusalem and the temple. So we have a prophecy written in 538 B.C. predicting two rulers, and it predicts when these rulers will come. And when we understand the two rulers, we can begin to understand the prophecy in regards to the measure of time that God is going to work with Israel. We can begin to piece together the math and understand the 77s prophecy. So let me lay this out for you in, in the chart that you actually have in your notes. And I, for those of you that, that are you're wanting to keep this down, you fill, you fill in the blanks. So the very first thing that we have is we have the, the, the command or the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. That's what verse 25 said. First thing that's going to happen is there's going to be this command to rebuild Jerusalem. Then it said 69 sevens will pass. And it says that, that there's going to be seven sevens and then 62 sevens. Talk about that in a little bit. And then it goes on to say, and then the anointed one, Jesus, comes. Um, hold your place here and go a little bit further back in your Old Testament to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. The book of Ezra uh, also contains some history about Israel's captivity. Now, although Ezra comes before Daniel in your Bible, the events occur after the book of Daniel. Um, so this has to do with Israel's captivity as well as groups of Jews that had already left uh, the Persian, Babylonian slash Persian Empire and gone back. Others chose to stay in Persia. And in, in Ezra chapter, uh, we're going to read chapter 7, but in chapter 6, um, it mentions Darius. Darius was the Persian king of Daniel chapter 9. But in chapter 7... This is after Daniel. There's a new king. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. So, so, so we're later on, many years later. Uh, this king began his reign in 465 B.C. So uh, pretty, pretty good time period here. Um, and so it's here that we find the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Look at verse 11. King Artaxerxes had given a copy of the following letter to Ezra, the priest and scribe who studied and taught the commands and decrees of the Lord to Israel. From Artaxerxes, the king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven, greetings. I decree, I command, that any of the people of Israel in my kingdom, including the priests and Levites, may volunteer to return to Jerusalem with you. I and my council of seven hereby instruct you to conduct an inquiry into the situation in Judah and Jerusalem based on your God's law, which is in your hand. So let's go back to that chart now. 
So, so we have the, the command given approximately 80 years after Daniel gave the prophecy, a decree is given just as Daniel said it would. And according to the, to, to the majority of scholars, they believe that this decree was given in the year 457 B.C. So Daniel's prophecy said that the anointed one, Jesus, would come in 69 sevens or 69 seven-year time periods. 69 times seven is 483 years. So 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, Daniel says Jesus is going to come. And if we go from 457 B.C. into the future, 483 years, we get to the year 26 A.D., the very year that Jesus was baptized, he was anointed to begin his ministry. Now, the question may be in your mind. Why, did, why doesn't it just say 69 sevens back in Daniel? Why does it say seven sevens and 62 sevens? Um, well, seven sevens, 49 years, is the time it took to rebuild Jerusalem. And from that point, it was 62 more sevens, 69 total, until Jesus, the anointed one, came. So, so we look at this. And way off the chart, way down here in, in 583 B.C., Daniel gives a prophecy. And then some 80-something years later, the prophecy begins to be fulfilled. The command to rebuild Jerusalem is given. 69 sevens, 483 years passes, and when that happens, Jesus begins his ministry. The anointed one, the ruler, comes. I go back to the question that I asked. Have you ever wondered if the Bible really is the word of God? And when those times come, we need to remember such things as Daniel's 77th prophecy, spoken six centuries before the time of Jesus, and it predicted the arrival of the anointed one, Jesus, right on time. Which, by the way, of course, should not be a surprise to us. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the right time came, God sent his son. God has a plan. He is a God of order. And God is working in the lives of mankind. But we look at this and we go, okay, but there's a problem here. Daniel's prophecy was 70 sevens. And we've only looked at 69 sevens. There, there's, there's another it's supposed to be 490 years, and there's only been 483 years. So we're short one seven-year period. So, so what about the seventh seven? Well, God does have one more seven-year period to work in and through Israel. Because, remember, Daniel's 77th prophecy is about God working in and through Israel. And, and if you remember, we, we kind of talked about this. God was working in and through Israel, but they rejected him. And there was a pause, if you will. But God's not through with Israel. There's, there's still more to come. In, in Luke chapter 13, in verse uh, 13, I'm sorry, verse 34, here's Jesus speaking, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. You've rejected me, he says, verse 35. And now, look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The house mentioned here, Jesus is referring to the temple, the place that represented the power and the presence of God. And he says it's it's abandoned, it's desolate, it's empty. And God's saying to Israel here through Jesus, you've rejected me and you've rejected my word and you've begun to worship idols and we're done for now. But you're going to see me again, Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 21, when Israel rejected Jesus, again, God stopped working among them and he started working with someone else. Verse 43 says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, Israel, and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. And so Jesus raised up a new people who would bear fruit. And that group is what we call the church. And so let's go back and look at that chart again. After Jesus was killed, that first ruler was killed, as Daniel the prophet said, God began working through the church beginning on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And he's been working in and through the church for the last 2,000 years. And the church has been bearing fruit, been bringing people into a relationship with Jesus to allow them to know that their sin can be forgiven because of Christ's death on the cross. Which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is our number one purpose as a church and as Christians. There are many things a church can do, and there's a lot of things a church should do, but there's one thing that the church must do, and that is tell people about Jesus. And when the, right, when the time is right, and as we saw a couple of weeks back, that time is near, we're in the sixth day, of God's seven-day calendar. And when the time is right, God will finish his work with the church. He will then say to the church, as we saw in Revelation 4.1, come up here. The rapture of the church will occur. That's the next thing that comes up. At the, that ends the church age. So the rapture of the church. And then following that is the seven-year tribulation period. That is the... 70th 7. So, I told you to hold your place in Daniel chapter 9. So let's look there again. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. After this period of 62 sets of 7, we've already, it's already in verse 25 talked about the 7, so now we're to the 69. The anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. That second ruler, the Antichrist, will make a treaty with the people. Who are the people we're talking about? Israel. The ruler, the Antichrist, will make a treaty with Israel for a period of one set of seven, for seven years. But after half this time... The Antichrist will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings 
and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. After Jesus is crucified, the second ruler, the Antichrist, comes and he will make a treaty with, with Israel. Um, for seven years, a peace treaty. But then it says halfway through that seven-year period, three and a half years in, the Antichrist, the, the, the New Living Translation here says it this way, commits a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. If, you'll, if you're carrying an NLT in your notes at the bottom, you're going to see it says, uh, Greek, abomination of desolation. And that's what all the older uh, Bible translations refer to it as. And so I'm going to call it that, the abomination of desolation. If I were to, to um, put it in today's English, I might say it this way, that what he's going to do is he's going to commit an act of disgusting idolatry. You don't have to go here, but you can go read it later. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 kind of describes it. And it says that the Antichrist will sit in the temple, in, in Israel's temple, the temple of God, and proclaim that he is God. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has something to say about Daniel's prophecy, and I'm going to end with that this morning. The disciples asked Jesus what was going to signal his return and the end of the world. And so in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus describes the events of the seven-year tribulation period. And so in Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 15. I'm picking up in the middle. I'm not going to read it all. Verse 15. The day is coming, Jesus is speaking, when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, that disgusting act of idolatry, the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Verse 16. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Remember again, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience about things that pertain to Israel. This prophecy is about God working in and through Israel, and he does it in 77, 69 consecutive. But then Israel so rejects God and, and becomes so idolatrous that there is a pause, and God begins working in a new group of people, the church who will bear fruit. But at the right time, once again, at the right time, God is going to say, come up here. The rapture is going to happen. The church is going to disappear. Who is the church? Not people that go to church. Let's make sure we're clear on that. Just because you've gone to church does not mean that when the rapture of the church occurs that you're a part of it. The church is defined by everyone who has committed their life to Jesus Christ. And anyone that has not committed their life to Jesus Christ, not only will they not be called up in the rapture, they will be on earth during the time of the tribulation period. Yes, it's God working with Israel. But everyone that has not committed their lives to Christ will still be on the earth at that time. So Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience about things that pertain to Israel. And he says, you will see what Daniel talked about, the Antichrist, 
is going to commit this act of disgusting idolatry, the abomination of desolation. He's going to get in the, go in the temple and proclaim that he is God. And, and, and Jesus says, when you see that happen, Israel, you're in the middle of the tribulation. There's three and a half more years to go. And he says, but it's time to run because it's about to get really bad. Because the Antichrist is breaking that peace treaty that he made with Israel. Let's read about the rest of the tribulation period. Verse 16. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to even pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. We, we think that rulers such as Adolf Hitler are bad. We think that rulers such as Kim Jong-un are bad. They are Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Rogers compared to the Antichrist. We think that, that, that we've seen in this world destruction and tragedy, and we have. But what we've seen is a walk in the park compared to what will happen during the last half of the tribulation period. The first 69 sevens of Daniel's prophecy have happened just as he said they would. And the 70th seven will happen just as surely as the other 69. And God will finish his work with Israel in the seven-year tribulation period. But as I said... Israel's not going to be the only ones on the earth that's going through that time of calamity and destruction and tragedy. Everyone who failed to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior will also be alive through that, at least for a time. Because the last verse that we read says that if that time of calamity wasn't shortened, no one would survive. And that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm finishing half of the message. We're going to finish the other half next week. That is why we must stand on the Scriptures. Listen, if a church is not willing to stand on the Scriptures, if Christians, people aren't willing to stand on the Scriptures, what hope does anyone in this world have? The world needs to know about Jesus. And, and, I, and I, you know, God, God has a plan. I don't know what it is, when he's going to bring it to an end. I do believe that we're at the very end. We're, I mean, we're close to striking midnight, but I don't know what that means in God's grand scheme of things. But here's what I do know. 
God selected the church to bear fruit. That's our task. Our task isn't to get together and just check in on Facebook, sing some songs, shake some hands. This isn't, what we're doing right now, this isn't the game. This is the huddle. And we walk out these doors and we take the discussion of the huddle and we go out the doors and we run the dang play. Bear fruit. Tell people about Jesus. That's why the church exists. Challenge you this morning to two things. Number one, look at things such as Daniel's prophecy. And, and how God, everything that was given happens right on time. And let that build confidence in you and your faith in God and in his word. And tell people about Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? I'm going to finish next week, which is adding in that, that second prophecy. But what we walk away from today with is a confidence in the Word of God and a commitment to tell people about Jesus. You know, it really doesn't, it really doesn't matter if you have confidence in the Word of God if you don't, know, don't go tell somebody about it. We must tell the world about Jesus. We must tell the world about Jesus. You, as an individual, must tell people about Jesus. I, as an individual, must tell people about Jesus. Let's let the church be the church, the salt and light of the world, that the world can know Jesus. Heavenly Father, we ask you to take these truths from your word today and plant them upon our hearts. Stamp it on us good today, Heavenly Father. There are always going to be times that Satan will, will plant seeds of doubt in our minds, even as he has done to me in the past. But I stand so, so confident and secure as I see things such as Daniel's prophecy fulfilled. So God, strengthen our faith, not only in you, but in the Word of God. And God, help all of us to be committed to telling people about Jesus. It's all for your honor and glory as we're a part of your plan to draw mankind to yourself. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.